Church, Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. I love all the big smiles around. I love all the laughter. Uh, we do life together in a church. Uh, so when we see each other, we're filled with a sense of affection and happiness. And I pray good things over your life. I pray the blessings of God upon you. You know exactly everything that is, the Lord knows everything that is needed. And I pray his blessings over you today. Uh, I rejoice with those who rejoice. I mourn with those who mourn. In other words, we do life together. And it's great to see you all. If you're visiting with us, thank you for taking a chance on us. Um, if you want to get to know us better, uh, the best way to do that is starting next week is to come to the First Steps and meet our pastoral staff. We eat together. We tell stories. Sometimes we follow the notes we have, but that's maybe one out of three times. And well, <laughs> the rest of the time we talk together, we get to know each other. Uh, it's not enough for you to know us. You hear us talk. Um, you won't feel like family if you just know. Uh, in order to feel like family, you have to be known. You have to both know and you have to be known. And so that's the easiest way to do that. Um, I am going to finish up today, not because I'm done. I, I've learned that I stop series just because time, not because I'm done. Um, but this, we've been doing a series called A Sound Mind, taking a biblical approach to mental health. And uh, it's been very, very insightful. I'm amazed at how much hunger there is uh, for a pastor to address this subject and not just be quiet about it and try to be both uh, fair and uh, I want to say it carefully because these subjects to be fair um, and yet also be biblical and address these issues and so um, I have established at the beginning of the series principles uh, that I had felt like that through study and reflection uh, would give us insight of uh, the nature of the human heart in seeking to understand the spiritual realm. Um, I'm going to give those to you again, but let me just say this subject is probably a subject we need to deal with, with again at a future date and probably need to deal with on an annual uh, basis because I've been just amazed at the the hunger um, the, and the questions that have come out of it. Uh, so our theme scripture is 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Many of you can quote this. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so let's, let's start by reviewing the uh, six principles, or let me do the first three, and then I'm going to uh, try to wrap up the last three and end for now and maybe a deal with it later. A uh, first principle is that you are a bipartite being. You are both body and spirit. You have within yourself a sense of temporal time and also a sense of infinity, a sense of eternity. And although your rational mind will at times debate within yourself this issue between spirit and flesh, eternity and time, uh, you will have a sense of the eternal nature of your being that cannot ever be lost. You can mock it. You can... Uh 
debate it, but the truth is, in your most difficult seasons and in your darkest night, you will have a sense of eternity. There are no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> uh, we all are brought to a sense of challenge. You are body and spirit. Uh, the difficulty, however, is that although we almost all we always know what our flesh wants, we usually uh, do not know what our spirit wants. And we only become aware of spiritual needs in the crises of our life. Uh, the second uh, principle is that you have a God-given creative purpose that seeks meaning. Uh, if you do not seek meaning and you do not in your life find meaning, then nothing else in your life will satisfy you. You must address the issue of what does it all mean as believers. We look at this from a spiritual perspective and a biblical perspective, and we believe that God not only made you unique, but he made you in his image. Yes. And so you have to seek meaning within the context of your uniqueness and also in your God-giftedness. Uh, the third principle was uh, the uh, fact that our value must be built, our self-esteem, our value must be built on something more enduring than ourselves. However, for much of our life, we will make the mistake of building our value on the opinion of our peers forgetting that they're just as short-lived as we are and setting ourselves up for uh, future struggle and difficulty by living in an, a prison, as it were, of other people's opinion and realizing that the people who hurt you by having an opinion about you are not even people you respect. And you've given your self-esteem into the control of someone whose life and their life choices you don't even really respect. Um, and so that, we tried to deal with some of that last week, and I will be, uh, as you guys know, I stagger my series sermons and all my sermons. So in the 11 o'clock, I will be doing uh, the third, which is the first three, the third in the series. Today in this service, I'm doing uh, the last three uh, as a uh, guide, as an effort to help to know. Um, so let's just before we do anything else, now that we're kind of caught up here, uh, Lord, I pray you'd help me do a good job today. I pray you'd help me to give words of real spiritual impartation and speak with a honesty and an authenticity, and not a religious pretense, not the values of a Pharisee class, but to really share and really confess and really help people in this journey towards faith. Let your spirit move among us today. Let someone repent of the ways of the flesh and turn their heart toward the call of the spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Let somebody say amen. Uh, it has been quite an experience doing this series on mental health. Uh, I thought of uh, a joke here this morning, and I ran it by my daughter, and she approved of it. I judge myself on the basis of my intentions. So even if I do something bad, even if I say something bad, even if I act badly, I feel like I didn't intend for it to be bad, so I give myself a pass. Can I have a big amen? But what I do with others is I judge them on how it looked, not on what they intended. 
And so if it looked bad, it was bad. And if it sounded bad, it was bad. And I give them no credit for having a good heart while I live in this self-deception, this presumption that I am primarily the one in my world who has a good heart and everybody else is sus. Uh, this is part of the deception of evil. And uh, let me give you a great quote from Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn who wrote the very disturbing, profound uh, uh, book, uh, uh, Gulag Archipelago. Um, quote, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and then to destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? Um, as we live in a religious culture and a religious class, and as we think of ourselves as church people, uh, there is this risk of us living in an increasing self-deception of good people on the inside and bad people on the outside. And we begin to say things like, oh, it's too bad that my neighbor isn't uh, willing to repent. He needs Jesus really, really bad. As if me, now that I'm religious I don't need Jesus quite so bad. And that mercy is for outsiders because because everybody on the inside, we're so saved, our feet don't even touch the ground when we walk around. Uh, this is part of the trap, the snare, the attitude of the veritable Antichrist on the gospel pages. Who was the Antichrist on the pages? It was Pharisee culture. It was religious culture. And they had a problem with Jesus, and ultimately they killed him because, after all, uh, they didn't think they were capable of evil. Only people on the wrong side of our theological interpretation, they're the only one's capable of evil. So let me flip this on its head and try to be as uh, authentic as possible. Sitting on a church pew, I have the line of good and evil cutting through me. Therefore, I, religious as I am, need to live a life of repentance. I do. Not just the person who slept in this morning, who should be here, who uh, stayed up late last night, carousing, and acting crazy, cigarettes, whiskey, and wild, wild women. Not just that guy, but this guy, religious and orderly and well-trained by my wife and well-disciplined, beat about the head, neck, and shoulders until I'm in real submission. No, I need Jesus just as much. The gospel is not simply an answer to the people who in some ways have not yet played the religious game and got their religious score up to a level where God has to save them. That's all self-deception. Everybody needs to live a life of repentance. That means today I need need to cleanse my heart. If there's anything evil in me, Lord Jesus, I repent of it. And moreover, I ask you to let me have insight to my own capacity for evil that I might not just speak words of repentance, but I might live a life of repentance. Because repentance means 
to go the other direction. Now, repentance is a religious word, but when they were using it, it wasn't a religious word. It was a, a military word. And that's why even today, if you listen to uh, the inheritors of Latin language, particularly in Europe, you might hear a group of soldiers cry, repent. And when you hear that, they'll do the thing and they'll go the other direction because it was a military term, not a religious term. Christianity comes along and we grab this military term, which means I was going in that direction. And now I turn and go in the opposite direction and we make it a religious term. Evil is real. It must be acknowledged. It must be rejected. It will always be easy for you to see in other people because you're not worried about their intentions. You're only worried about their appearances. But it will feel unfair when the same standard is used against you because you knew your intentions. Even though you broke their heart, you didn't mean to. You were just trying to be funny. Do you see? Am I the only one who has that problem? Uh, I taking a little bit of a chance uh, and some people don't want to take that chance and justice evil will exist as long as we wish what has been given to another person and we allow envy to rise up within us evil will exist as long as an individual can hate their enemies more than they love their children evil will exist so unless you are willing for the Lord to destroy all the world, you need to accept the fact that good and evil are part of the human story. And God cannot solve evil without ending us. So he chose another path. He decided to pay the debt we owed to justice that we might, through his righteous life, attain unto a God-given righteousness, that we would become like Almighty God. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? Aren't you thankful for mercy in your life? Let's take a praise break right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you today for mercy in my life. I must, as a Christian way, reject my own capacity for evil. Put away your sword. They that live by the sword will die by the store. I make a decision to live a certain kind of life, and I do it every day. I am capable of hating. I am capable of plotting. I am capable of malevolent envy. I am capable of lust. Every day, I must Put away my sword. They that live by the sword will die by the sword. If I refuse to do that, I choose self-deception. And you cannot live a life of self-deception without prompting mental health issues in your own life or in the life of the people near you or most damagingly in the life of the little people who call you mom. Or dad. Uh, evil is birthed from pride and lust. Evil is birthed from pride and lust. Let me read James 4, chapter number 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? 
You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world must make himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. In other words, the apostle says, you got big problems, but thankfully he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a solution to this problem. Verse seven, therefore, submit yourself to God. Somebody say, help me, Lord. (laughs) Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Oh, he's just writing to sinners here. He's not writing to church people. (laughs) No, no. I mean, nice try. He's writing to the church at Jerusalem, where all all the religious types live. They're so righteous, they won't even sit at the table with Gentiles. Moving along. Submit yourself to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The problem of evil cuts through my heart. I must live a life of repentance. Just because I am religious does not mean that I am incapable of of evil. Some of the greatest harm I have seen have been done by people who proclaimed religion and people, as one philosopher said, are never so happy to do evil as when they can do it in the name of religion. It cuts through all of our hearts. It cuts through all of our hearts. There is a solution for this. I take myself to an altar daily and I repent of my sin and my capacity for sin. I don't just repent for my lust. I repent for my capacity for lust because the heart of desire in God's ethical kingdom is the same as the act of transgression, even though in the realm of the flesh there is a difference to it. In God's desire to transform your heart, it's the same thing. You see, we... I don't have time for this. Let, let, me, let me keep moving. I've got a ways to go. Uh, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee to you. I have to turn away from evil while confessing on a regular basis I am capable of it. And when I catch myself living carnally, I have to check my own capacity for evil. When I catch myself gossiping, I have to check my own capacity for evil. The number one symptom of a religious person who has forgotten that they are capable of evil is that they are gossipers. That is the number one symptom of somebody who has not faith. They are living a life of deception. They think they are incapable of evil. Evil is what other people do. And it always goes like this. They're quite willing to talk to you about other people's bad. Uh, That's the sign they are failing to understand evil cuts through them too. And gossip shows they are not living a life of repentance. They're blind to their own capacity to be malevolent toward others. 
Now, I warned you at the beginning of this series, this was not going to be a shout and run and dance and hoop and holler and series, and I am holding true to my commitment. I wouldn't want to be uh, in any way uh, misleading. So let's, let's talk about, let's, let's close this up. Repentance and a life of repentance will help me face the truth. The truth is I am the one who needs work. I'm the only one I have control over. I need to stop worrying about other people and I need to find a place of prayer. I need to put myself on the potter's wheel and I need to say, work on me, O Lord. I am undone. Principle number six, all truths about yourself will be experienced as emotion, not knowledge. However, that emotion will feel more valid than any knowledge you have ever experienced. Emotion is where we go to be, to feel, to sense. Emotion is the path of all of our lives. It's not that we don't know things. It's just that beside how things feel, it's like the breath of, or the air movement of, let me say it differently. What we know beside what we feel is the difference in a lightning bug versus lightning. Um, We know, uh, I would say the vast majority of your problems, you actually know what to do. It's just so stinking hard to do it. You actually, you don't know necessarily how to fix it, but you know how to influence it and you know what would make it better. But oh my goodness, it's so exhaustingly hard to do what we know. Um, We live lives of emotion and yet we know things. It's just the power of emotion is so much greater than that uh, power of knowledge. And so the result of us living emotional lives is to reject any word outside of our emotional experience, and it goes some version like this, don't judge me, you have no idea how it feels to be me. Whatever I ultimately choose is because the power of the emotions that I deal with. I want to say clearly, I'm not unsympathetic to this, I'm crazy too. Let me say it differently. I have storms of emotion just like you do. I can feel them brewing on the horizons of my life. I run into my wife and ask her to fix me. And she says, okay. And then she goes back to her book. And uh, that's what a 30-year marriage will do for you. No, I'm teasing. She does her best. But uh, what do you do except hunker down against the emotional storms that blow across the uh, plains of your life? We live this reality as there's no experience as powerful as our emotional experience. I hope you know stuff, but there will be no knowledge as powerful as the emotional experience in your life. Therefore, we will reject any commentary that does not take into account how we feel. Why, oh why, dearly beloved religious person, does the person trained in 15 years of psychotherapy always want to know how you feel about what happened? Because the reality is the only thing you're responding to is how it feels. Is that too much for you? I apologize. It's my choices are justified because you have no idea how it felt to be me. Jacqueline Ades went on a date with a guy one time, fell in love with him, 
proceeded to send him 65,000 texts. <laughs> Broke into his wife, house. When he wasn't there, she would live there and pretend to be his wife. Finally got her nerve up. He came home. She was in the bathtub saying, hey, honey. Finally was arrested for this. Went to jail. They tried to work with her because she obviously had mental health issues. They were going to release her for time served. They only wanted, the judge only wanted her to admit that uh, this man she had gone on one date with who had promptly blocked her uh, and categorized her under file 13, crazy people never to go on a date with again. Um, she would not admit that he was not supposed to be her husband. In fact, she asked the judge to order him to marry her because even the law said that he was for her. Why was she doing all of this? Well, besides the mental health issues, which are real, um, it felt so true to her. Nothing else could possibly be as true as how that truth felt. And so she ruined her life and she ruined his life because of the power of the feelings within her. There was no truth that powerful. The law wasn't that powerful. The judge wasn't that powerful. Her own family and friends who tried to intervene, nothing was that powerful. That's how my wife felt about me the first time she met me. She knew I was the one and she promptly prophesied over me in Jesus' name. No, I'm just having fun. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 the feelings are so all-encompassing yeah. that it will seem as though nothing else matters. And if you don't acknowledge this, you will have even less chance of making progress against the negative emotions in your life. You have to acknowledge this. And you have to accept as a believer. Are you ready for this? You have to accept there are things that are true even when they don't feel true. Yeah. Abraham, can you believe that you'll have a son? But I'm old. Even my wife thinks it's fun, uh, funny to talk about it now. We on the wrong side of 60, if you know what I'm saying. I have a lifetime membership with AARP. And uh, you're talking about new life around here. Uh, Abraham, in order to be a believer, you need to accept. Watch. Stay with me. In order to live a life of faith, you've got to accept that there are things that can be true even when they are not true. So let me take this further. God says you have value. You. That means it's true whether or not it feels true. God says he's going to be with you in good times and bad times. That means as a person of faith, you have to accept that that is true whether or not it feels true. God said... Let me say it differently. I read the back of the book and we win. You have to accept that that is true whether or not it feels true. But if you're trapped in this belief system that primary truth is what feels true, then oh, my brother, my sister, my friend, my countryman, my darling, <laughs> mental health issues are right around the corner. There is a freedom in accepting a truth. Now, let me give a word of caution and warning here. You can't think everything is true just because you want it to be true. You have to have a standard, a distinction of what rises to the level of being worth believing in. Yeah. 
A politician will tell you he or she rises to the level of being worth believing in. That's up to you. You get your vote. We don't do politics here. Vote your conscience. Now, a business will tell you they are worth believing in. A political party will tell you they are worth believing in. A philosophical school of thought will tell you they are worth believing in. But I want to caution you that not everything has demonstrated the same power over the centuries. And not everything has demonstrated the same faithfulness over the generations. And not everything has the same level of evidence of testimony. I want to tell you this. There's a lot of things I'm not going to believe in to that level. But when you talk about the validity of the Holy Scripture, that has risen to a level in my life where I choose to believe the truth of the Scripture over everything else in my life. Life, including my feelings. Uh, Peter uh, Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, uh, writes this quote To feel is to be human. To minimize or to deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, to love others, and to love ourselves well, end quote. Uh, This is... uh, uh, absolutely um, authentic and helpful uh, confession and insight with which to uh, live. Emotions are part of our story. The reason why people go crazy over artists who make them feel is because there's nothing else that feels more powerful than their feelings. And so they'll go to a concert and they will offer sincere worship of a person who is probably uh, not that much older than them, uh, has not that much more experience in life, but what is the genius of that artist, the ability to make them feel? And that feeling is so powerful. For generations, we've gone to, in times past, we went to poetry to feel. Now, uh, pop culture, we go to music to feel. To a lesser degree, we go to uh, movies and novels to feel. But when they can make us feel, it is so powerful. We give them worship. We give them adoration. We get, we scream their names. We fill stadiums with the applause of them. Uh, This is very much a real confession of our lives. And I want to say this to you. Uh, As believers, what do we do with negative emotions and how does a believer deal with this in a a healthy manner versus um, an unhealthy manner? Um, All of us, all of us can quote scripture, um, but that's not the same thing as living a life of faith. Uh, I have spent years of my life where I could follow formulas, but the truth is I had no peace in my soul. I knew how to quote doctrines, but I was not living with that sense of spiritual reassurance and my emotions were throwing me about like a small ship in a large sea. Where do we take our emotions? I I want to confess to you that this is not a calculation. This is 
is not a formula, an easy fix for people who are dealing with mental health, if, mental health, health issues, which can be, as we talked about in this series, uh, very real. This is not even a formula that a professional psychotherapist or psychiatrist or psychologist would use uh, because remember, the goal of those disciplines is different than the goal of religion and faith. A psychologist is trying to help you cope. <coughs> Excuse me. Religion is trying to make you whole. Those are very different things. And so that's why to a psychotherapist, they will use drugs to lower the pain, the sensitivity, the reaction in your life, to put a filter, a barrier, some type of callus between you and the world, which is what medications do. Uh, They have their place, but they do not make you whole. What religion wants to do is transform your heart. Allow truth to set you free. Allow faith to lift you up into a place of spiritual trust where the dailiness of your life, the very affections of your heart is changed to different goals. This is another reason why when we misunderstand what mental health professionals are trying to do, we get in fights with them. We, we don't understand what they're trying to do. They, we think they're trying to do what we're trying to do. In like manner, they talk about us because they don't understand what we're trying to do. It is not the same thing. There should not necessarily be the tension that exists. We as believers of faith are looking for spiritual heart transplants. Yes. Can I have a big amen? Yes. Psalm 62 gives us the beginning of a solution to what do we do with the storm of negative emotions in our life, the feelings that are so powerful. I've got to end and I'm not done. This is a problem. Uh, Psalm 62 and 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I take my negative emotions to God. I pour them out unto him. Uh, Let me deal with the principle. I skipped principle five but let me, as our musicians come, wrap this up very quickly. The fifth principle is this. Because you are a spirit being, you are never alone. However, because all your senses are in the flesh, you will spend much of your life feeling alone. This is a spiritual principle that has spiritual consequences. Um, It is one of the ways in which we as believers live a different life than unbelievers. It's one of the ways in which living a biblical life has a different approach to God uh, or a different approach to wholeness uh, than simply getting therapy and talking endlessly about how things made us feel. Um, Once we have understanding that we are never really alone, uh, we are both flesh and spirit, and we are alone in our flesh. However, we are never alone in our spirit. Uh, This fifth principle uh, is very much a challenge to our life in surprising ways. Let me give you a quick example. I don't have time to do this justice, but let me give you a, a quick example. Imagine uh, Eve walking in the garden and uh, the Lord is with her and the Lord walking beside her and they're talking about uh, things of, of spiritual fellowship and intimacy and uh, they're walking along and then the serpent appears. Do you think Eve would have been deceived by the serpent if she had been walking with the Lord? I don't, I don't see how that's 
Uh, let me bring, make it more modern. Think of the errors you've made in your life. If Jesus had literally, in some perceivable sensory manner, been with you, do you think you would have fallen in the same temptation? No, because Jesus was with you. Why does Eve fall into conversation with the serpent? Because she thinks she's alone. I know I stirred some deep waters there. I don't have time to, to swim in these deep waters. You are flesh and spirit. That means though you often feel alone. Say it with me. You're never really alone. But this misconception invites you to live a double life. It invites you to live a flawed life. And this misconception, this, let me say it, self-deception is the open door to a lot of issues that ultimately can have mental health consequences. How do we live lives where we never feel as weak? We are, let me say it differently. Lord, help me to get this right. How do we live lives where we are never as weak as we feel? To awaken to the truth that we are never really alone. Because doing well, doing good is much easier when you have somebody with you encouraging you. The whole physical training, the whole hiring a trainer um, is very not, a, it's not really about not knowing what to do. If you just need to know what to do, you could hire a trainer for one session. Hiring the trainer is having somebody with you to help you be accountable, to encourage you when you want to quit, to celebrate with you when you make progress, to fist bump you when you actually add weight. The trainer is about, let me say it, an antidote to loneliness. How much better would you do serving God if you really believed he was with you? How much better would I do invited to, I know some of you are thinking, my Lord, I'm rethinking what I did this week. Holy moly. Stand with me all across the house. Here's the reality. Although you feel alone, you feel alone and if you allow yourself to fall into the double life of thinking when I feel alone I'm actually alone rather than the spiritual life though I ascend to the heights of heaven you're there though I ascend to the depths of hell you're there you never leave me you never forsake me you are with me Always, even until the end of the world, you're with me. Lord Jesus, we're praying right now that we would have a biblical approach to being whole in our mind, to being strong in our spirit. We ask you to make us whole today, oh God. We ask you to work in our heart and work in our life. We ask you to wash away our sins. We ask you to bring peace to our troubled minds. We ask you to let truth find foundation in us. 
the gospel of hope to find good soil in which to grow in us. We are praying for wholeness today. We don't want to pretend religiosity. We don't want to pretend religious formula where we're quick to quote it to others, but because we've chosen a double life on the inside, we're really upset and fearful. We'll tell others what to do, but we ourselves, we can't heal ourselves. Physician, heal thyself. We can't do that. What we're doing is trying to correct other people because uh, other people's problems are easy because we don't feel them. We know them. But any problem we actually feel, we can't fix that because the problem isn't the knowledge, it's the feeling. God, help us to have a biblical approach to bringing every thought into submission. Bringing every feeling into submission. Bringing every attitude in submission and being changed by your power today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.